Welcome to Super Entrepreneurs Podcast. Today we have with us Teresa Grobecker. How are you, Teresa? I'm well. How are you? Excellent. I know we were chit-chatting before we started recording. Um, you know, it's uh, it great to see uh, the passion that you do and what you're involved in and to get those specific information to make this episode more valuable to our listeners. And I appreciate that. And, you know, we always like to start the show by, you know, giving the stage to our guests and kind of explain in your own words what your world looks like. Thank you so much for having me. And hello to all of your guests on this podcast. It's great to be here. Um, so my, my world, I guess, um, is a Venn diagram intersection of organized real estate, uh, capital markets, and um, the title world, I would say, and, and technology. So those are the areas that I play in. Okay. Can you explain that? Elaborate more on that, please? Yeah, totally. So about a decade ago, I started the first online real estate brokerage in San Francisco. And along the way, I put the world's largest asset class, which is American real estate on my own blockchain. And I filed for the patent for all things real estate, blockchain, and non-fungible tokens, known as NFTs. So mm -hmm. I have that um, application in with the U.S. Patent Office. And along the way, I um, was introduced to Bob Goldberg, who's the CEO of the National Association of Realtors. That's the largest trade organization in the world largest lobbying force on Capitol Hill. And she was like, you're ours. And I was like, yeah, I made this as a gift to the real estate industry. So became part of the NAR portfolio of companies. I now run three portfolio companies there and um, several other companies. So um, it, it was a business that never, well, it was a technology that never intended to become a business. It was merely a gift, uh, an offensive move against China or Russia, because I figured they were further ahead in, um, in some of this technology. So it was just to put our flag in the ground and say, this is for North American real estate. We do a lot of work with our Canadian counterparts as well. Um, so it's just more of a way to standardize information in blockchain to provide a better customer experience. So think of like Carfax for your home. Yeah. And in this project... Oh. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. When I say that, people, yeah, that's I, cool. I should lead with that, right? Um, yeah. That's a lot easier to understand, I think, um, mm. to build this project. I'm also a licensed investment banker and was an equity partner at a global investment bank um, until very recently, where I now do more work for family offices. Um, so I would say that in building this product, we have to take into account a lot of different laws. And that's where I say like the Venn diagram of my life is a convergence of many different licenses that I have and laws that I have to incorporate into one piece of technology. So that's kind of what my world looks like in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. You know, Carfax for real estate, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's a lot easier to understand. Yeah. <laughs> right? So, um, so how, are, how are they doing it before that, before this uh, decentralizing it? Totally. So um, there was this piece of legislation here in the United States, or actually, I don't even know if it had to go through legislation. Um, it's called Dodd-Frank. Um, and it was an outcome of what happened in the Great Recession. 
so when like there were all these like bad loans that were being written, it became clear that there wasn't information about what the banks were underwriting, the kinds of loans who they were giving them to. So this piece of legislation called Dodd-Frank came out and it says that every bank or lender has to have a ledger of every asset that they own. And that's like obviously blockchain because blockchain is nothing more than a sexy spreadsheet. It's like mm -hmm. it gets way too much attention for what it really is. Yeah. Um, so that came out as legislation because there really isn't a way to put everything about a piece of property into one place. So like when you go through the home buying process, you have your set of disclosures that your real estate agent makes you fill out as a seller, as a buyer, you view those, you sign off on those. Those go into all kinds of disparate data management storage containers. We have the multiple listing system where if like you've ever gone online to look at real estate, that information is fed through a place where brokers and agents put it and then it's pulled out into the internet. You have insurance companies, you have title companies, mortgage companies, and each one of these have very siloed buckets of information and they don't talk to each other, right? So it's a very, as a result, the process for the consumer is kind of a nightmare. And what we're trying to do is pull some of these bits of information into one ledger so that it can be more easily shared and democratized in the sharing between the different parties. The other thing that we have is we don't have a, a single repository for things that are going on inside of the house. So my favorite example is there's a, there's a plumbing company here in the United States called Roto-Rooter. And Roto-Rooter has thousands of records of what happens with the plumbing inside of houses. Well, the top five expenses when something goes wrong in a house, one of them is plumbing. I was actually knock on wood because I don't I, like I say this with like a great bit of caution is um, and so we the capital markets like the banks and the insurance companies that are providing liquidity to homeowners they don't know the condition inside the houses and what we're seeing here in North America is receiving aging inventory of houses so the houses that were built right like they're becoming increasingly older whether it be you know 50 60 years old or even going back a hundred years. And so the condition of the actual asset is really by and large unknown to the banks that are writing these trillion dollar security notes behind these houses. Um, so the idea here is to put these records on the blockchain and to provide a better customer experience, but also create more liquidity and net better financial decisions by the bank. This is incredible because it provides so much security to the consumer and everyone else that's involved. Yeah, the consortia has it. The name of the company is called Consortia. Um, consortia has this do good ethical responsibility, I think, to the industry. I know those are like really big terms and very big concepts. Like uh, it's kind of overarching. My idea in building this is everyone who comes to the platform either makes money by democratizing their data or it's a consumer who benefits by getting a better rate on insurance and mm -hmm. on their mortgage notes, um, or it's the lender in the capital markets that's going to make better, more fiscally sound business decisions on what they're lending on. And so far, mm -hmm. that message works. So I think we're, we're mm -hmm. doing okay there, which is pretty cool. It's pretty warmly received. So, Teresa, will this be standard for, for all real estate transactions or whoever participates? So a little bit of both. Um, as far as getting out the gate, we are building relationships and conversations with the largest banks and lenders in the United States, also with two GSE um, corporations. Um, so 
those are like Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and kind of and working in lockstep with what they're requesting um, of the practitioner and of the real estate transaction. So it's on a adoption basis, right? Like it's mm. it's one domino after the other to bring in yeah. an entire ecosystem onto this platform. Um, and then let's see where it goes. Eventually, we would love yeah. to become like a standardized utility in the manufacturing of real estate. And that process starts here at home. I, um, I've got to conquer home first and show that we can yeah. show something that works here in the United States with these big corporations and then share it with the rest of the world because American real estate is the largest asset class because each piece of real estate is insured and reinsured up to five to 10 times. And it's that stability of that asset class that creates the financial stability. For example, if you look at the financial crisis, there was not a human being in this world, in this world that was untouched by the collapse of the American housing industry. It gives me goosebumps to think about that because I personally, of course, like everyone was, it was so immediate here, especially with the assets that I either picked up or the stories that I saw, right? Um, but you think about the ripple effect for the entire global economic stability, and it just becomes like, it, it's a do good standard, right? If we can do that here and then share that with other countries, then they get yeah. access to more liquidity in their housing markets as well. So um, it's, it's a do good customer good kind of project. Yeah. And you know, it, it started not like an entrepreneur's thing, like to monetize or anything. It started with more of a passion. It, it, it did. And I, I don't yeah. share that. I, not many people know this is like, I was seven months pregnant with my first son, my redhead, um, when the stock market just crashed. And I worked in financial markets. Um, my my ex-husband did as well. And it was a very scary time. And that amount of fear, right, of like, I, I personally, no one gives a job to a, a lady who's about to have a kid, right? Yeah. And then on top of that, I was like, is Steve going to keep his job? So that amount of fear, I never want anybody else to go through that. I mean, everybody has their own trials and tribulations, whether you're an entrepreneur or you work for somebody, right? We all have these concerns on a daily basis as part of the human condition. But I think just as one small, tiny human being, what can I do as a person with the things that rattle around my brain? How can I contribute to lar a larger economic picture in whatever small way I can? So this is just my, my gift to the real estate industry for yeah. um, from what I've learned over the last decade in real estate. Well, I'm glad to have you on the show because to me, that's um, extremely, extremely valuable of what you just said. You know, it's about service to others and where you're coming from is just bound to 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 grow and become something because the incentive of you doing it is very special. So um, I'm I'm grateful to have met you. <laughs> well, I'm I'm grateful to be here to share my story. It's funny mm -hmm. after going through the NAR accelerator through Second Century Ventures Reach, I didn't want to. I didn't actually touch the blockchain project for two years. I was so sick of it. I was early, so that was 2019, and this is my second blockchain company. So the first one went after the derivatives market after the crash and blockchain to, to fix that. Um, and so for this one and talking to the real estate industry and practitioners, real estate is slow to adopt change in technology. It's a bespoke industry up until very recently. And now just we're rapidly clicking on. But in 2019, I had to 
sell the word blockchain to people like in real estate. Mm. There's, there's nothing more frustrating than that. Yes. And now because of COVID, people had so much time to read and we've seen so many advancements in blockchain technology. So then toward the end of last year of 2021, head general counsels from very large organizations, like the largest title companies, the largest capital markets company, they came to me and they were like, Teresa, did you know blockchain could do this thing? And I was like, hey guys, you ready to do this? Let's roll. <laughs> so like I, I was actually, I wanted and I tried to give it to NAR because I didn't want to run it. I never intended for this to be a business. I can't overemphasize mm -hmm. that point. Yeah. I wanted to at one point sell it or I just wanted to shut it down. And I realized that NAR won't let me do any of those things. So I have to run this company as a CEO. I don't want to at all. Um, I consider it better than like the eBay Pez dispenser story, which we all know is like a fictional story. But this one's actually true. I had no intent. I, I like walked into this mess, I feel like. Um, so what I tell my friends is this is not a me conversation because people look to me for the answers in blockchain and this technology. It's not a me conversation. It's a we conversation because I refuse to build this by myself. So mm. I get input from people much smarter than me who say, okay, you've built the plumbing for this. Like all the data can go through these plumbing, these types of NFTs on this platform. Cool. Let's build on top of that. And that's, I think what I'm most grateful for, like conversations like we're having, it's just like yeah. one door opens the next and some really incredible humans have come into this project and they see just so many potential, like we're working on things like fair housing, housing accessibility, bringing down the cost of the transaction in some of these different silos where the information has been locked up. Um, and it, it's really cool to see other people go, oh, we can eliminate racial bias in the appraisal by standardizing this and putting it onto blockchain or we can reduce the cost of title insurance because now we have There's so many sharing things. data. I know. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. babbling, but um, no, 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 no. I'm, it's I'm, it's good. Really I'm cool. just saying, <laughs> yeah, I'm saying it's cool because there's so many things that can be covered with decentralizing it. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And you mentioned NFT. So NFT are, are each real estate unit or property will have its own NFT. Can you, can you explain that? Yeah, I can actually show my screen. You're so great oh, yeah, sure. that I've minted. Some of these are for what's called a certified listing. Some of these are property tokens for friends and family that I've minted. Um, we just did a light release of this just through some social marketing um, that we did. So each property is identified with what's called the universal property identifier. And that's this thing here. So you can search by the UPI in the general marketplace. So search by universal property identifier. And then that'll come up mm -hmm. with a whole list of whatever property you can see. These are all kinds of different files here. These are certified mm -hmm. listings. So this follows in lockstep with what Fannie and Freddie want. So Fannie and Freddie mm -hmm. want to see the information about the property. So this is the title summary. Wow. Are there clouds on mm -hmm. title? Are there issues that we have to resolve before closing escrow. And what this does, it shortens the escrow period. And why that's important is because when we go into escrow, we lock a loan. And that's expensive for the lender. And it's also an expense that's borne by the consumer, the borrower. 
So if we can shorten that lock period by 30, 45 days and compress this whole sales cycle into 14 days, everybody wins, especially in environments like we're all in right now, which is rising interest rates, because the price to buy a house is going up as we breathe, right? Like the markets itself are going up, the real estate markets, they're up 21% year over year. So like as we live and breathe, like if you own a house, it's just printing money on the backside equity not actual cash, right? Mm. So if the, the cost of getting a new house keeps in increasing without doing anything and also loans, the, the mortgage interest rates are going to go up another half a point this month in June alone. So those costs make it less accessible to get into a house, which I find rather heartbreaking, but it's the ebb and flow of economics, right? So we want to yeah. kind of bring that down. We also do the floor plan, which is... Um, it's a new mandate that the floor plan can be done digitally. The appraisal can be done through the phone. And this makes the appraisal process more oh. accessible, whether you're in urban cities or out in rural areas. I'm pointing to San Francisco that way and to like the country that like goes farther north where from where I sit right now. So we're bringing down all these costs, right, which is good for the consumer. Mm. Um, what this looks like as far as minting a non-fungible token is we say what kind of non-fungible token we're creating. We put in the address, which is based on the Google API, the Google Map API. We insert here the universal property identifier. And I made a promise to the real estate industry to tie in the practitioner because there are a lot of people in Silicon Valley who don't want realtors to exist or they don't want title insurance to exist. And they think that should, should go away. And I feel like those human relationships are still very important as far as being the stewards of the American dream to people. So we, we bake those professionals in. And this is where we can drag and drop the information about the property that we want to share here. We can do a cover photo. I think you saw some of the tiles for the yeah. NFTs. Um, and then we mm -hmm. categorize the data. We say, what kind of data is this? So everything from appraisals to data to um, title insurance. Policy. Just one spot. Each property in one spot, you'll get everything. Yes, yes. And here's the coolest part is that we can mint royalties. So we can sell these non-fungible tokens and enable crypto payment, or we can accept fiat, so dollars. Um, and then we can say we can list it for sale. The minimum price is set at $1, and then we can have royalties. And the royalties can go 10 layers deep. So if you have a relationship to the property, if you own data regarding the property, you can monetize that data for the life of the property. Think about that. Wow. Now we're democratizing and there's a financial gain for people who come yeah. into the system and decide to share information. I think that's, that is really the essence of Web 3.0 is that people can democratize what they own and what they know. The other side of that is it creates responsibility on each person. It, the best analogy that I heard is that like you can't, there's no customer support line if you lose your wallet keys, right? In cryptocurrency. And that's, mm. that's the, I think the biggest hurdle in the consumer's mind is, oh my gosh, where do I go for help, right? I think though that over the last two decades of web 2.0 and web 1.0, or last three decades actually, we have become accustomed to having login keys for our different accounts, right? And hopefully we're getting more self-sufficient. Um, and even if you're not self-sufficient, I think like grandma can call granddaughter or a grandson, right? Mm -hmm. um, and like get tech help where that's, I, I would hope mm -hmm. that we can be neighborly and create community around 
um, how to help each other in this like technical, uh, technological evolution. So um, that's, that's kind mm-hmm. of the, this is the platform as it is now and it's live. This is not wireframe. So um, just really excited to, to launch this. So, so what is your, what would you call like a, your perfect, um, I guess, client avatar, your persona, who, who would be mostly attracted to this platform is obvious for the obvious ones, but outside of those. Yeah. So um, in filing for this patent, I, the, the goal there was to one, do it for uh, the American real estate industry and all the others, right. That will, that we will, the lives that we'll be able to touch. Um, the, the perfect situation is that we click over one at a time, right. That, that commitment to the real estate practitioner. So we get them on board. Mm-hmm. I put time on the scoreboard with the patent, uh, patent pending filing. And the next step is to really bring the practitioners on board to get them to adopt and to build those relationships with capital markets like we are now. So some of the largest banks, because I really believe in follow the money. I believe in free market economics. And when something works, I think people vote with their dollars, right? So people or organizations. So the the big push here is to bring on those large financial institutions and the large players in the market. Because when we have a true ecosystem, then we create that that natural safety net, right, with this data that helps us make better decisions. So are they... Are- in this in America, are we are they purchasing um, with crypto as well, res, uh, uh, real estate? So I was the first real estate broker in California to be authorized at a compliance level to move unlimited amounts of crypto into real estate. Um, here's my take on that: is that yeah. most people who invested in Bitcoin or crypto in the early days, early days have a firm commitment to this idea, this culture called HODL, and it's hold on for dear life. And it's mm-hmm. when the assets go up and then they crash. And then they say to each other, HODL, hold on, um, hold your position. And then it came as a typo, actually, when people were feverishly typing to each other, hold, 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 don't sell, right? Like, stay in this for the long term. So that's the mentality of a lot of crypto heads, blockheads, as I call them. Um, is that they believe that crypto will increase in value. So do I believe that a lot of transactions are going to happen with crypto into real estate? No. I teach the industry. In fact, I taught the largest title insurance company in the United States how to do this to satisfy good funds laws. So there are laws about how money is sourced to make sure it's clean, that it's acceptable to transfer. So I advised on that. I don't think many transactions are going to happen that way. What I do think is coming in the very near future, the next 12 to 24 months, it's FedCoin. So the SEC- It's what, sorry? FedCoin. So it's a federal coin. FedCoin. A cryptocurrency Mm -hmm. that's backed by a country's currency. So this Mm -hmm. was, the Fed has announced that they're, you know, that they're looking into it, they're researching it. The SEC about um, four or five weeks ago announced that they're cracking down on stable coins, quote unquote. Um, stable coins are all, they're not actually stable is what the SEC is cracking down on in the US Treasury. A lot of it is baloney and there's a lot of risk in stable coins. So the government mm. is trying to crack down and flush out the ones that really are stable versus the ones that are just fluff and noise. 
And all of this is really an experiment as to, to build out and roll out FedCoin. So the second that FedCoin is announced, all of our real estate transactions happen on blockchain. And this system mm -hmm. is ready to accept crypto, to move through these rails or to accept this through the banking rails. So funny story is that when we were a new company, we had to open a bank account. And through my investment bank, I got the referral into Chase Bank. It was very hard to get a bank account because nobody understood, is this crypto? Are you following anti-money laundering? Do you, are you following like the US Patriot Act and financial crimes laws? Or people didn't understand, oh, consortia is not a crypto. Consortia never launched a coin. We are purely NFT for the sake of utility. So with this conversation with Chase, they very quickly understood, They're like, oh yeah, you're, you're not a crypto. I'm like, cool. And then they put me on the phone with their treasury department. And I was like, I, I'm kind of a happy-go-lucky entrepreneur. I'm like, oh, cool. Hey, let's have a phone call, guys. It's kind of like how we started this call. I'm like, oh, cool. I'll just show up, yeah. right? That's just my culture. <laughs> yeah. Like, cool. I'll just, whatever, wherever, yeah. wherever the energy yeah. goes, I'll just follow it. And like, we'll awesome. figure out where to go. So little yeah. did I know it was Chase Bank trying to figure out how to move money through blockchain rails. And I just realized it, it finally dawned on me probably about one month ago. Like, oh, that's what that conversation was. Because other lenders have come to me in conversation saying, hey, can we fund the loan faster through these rails that you have through consortia? So you can go directly between wallets, right? Lender to consumer yeah. wallet, boom. Like literally mm -hmm. while we're talking, yeah. I've got, I'm a practitioner. I yeah. still practice. I still manage. I still do loans. Like I, I do this to understand all the pain points and where the current system is broken. I literally just got a phone call right now, which I'll have to return as soon as we're done from the largest wholesale lender in the United States. And they're calling me because we don't know when the wire is going to fund this loan and today is the last day of the law. Like, awesome. What mm. a great consumer experience. Like, like there is the ability to upload documents and to fund loans like this. Right. But instead, like I have to facilitate a phone call. Like this is such a, bizarre concept to me because the technology here exists as we're looking at on this screen. So um, I predict that in the next, and, and so does my team, we do a lot of research in the crypto space and FedCoin and the, the US government. Um, and I think in the next 12 to 24 months, all transactions will be funded through FedCoin as soon as FedCoin is now. FedCoin. Yeah. Wow. So what's going to happen with traditional money? Well, I think, you know, there, it'll still be in circulation. It, it'll still exist, right? It won't be preferable. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know what happened in Canada during COVID, but in the United States during COVID, there was something called a coin shortage. It was really funny. Like there weren't enough coins to transact. So you weren't allowed to bring coins. Into oh, stores. yes. I heard of that. Bitcoin, Bitcoin specifically. Yes. Yeah, this wasn't Bitcoin, but this was actual coins, like physical coins in your wallet, right? Like coins are no longer accepted in establishments. Oh, you're talking about actual like pennies? Pennies, quarters, nickels, dimes. Yeah. Yeah, we, we killed pennies a long time ago, but we, we do have nickels and dimes and stuff. So. Yeah. So we actually, in a lot of establishments, they're like, we have a coin shortage and we're not accepting coins. It was a really bizarre thing. So I think that. Wow. We're going to, yeah, it, it's like a push, right? To having everything digital. Yeah. Um, and mm -hmm. somebody on my team was like, over the weekend, we had a two hour long conference call Saturday morning. We were like future proof proofing and mapping a lot of things out. And here's what I think happens. And this was 
you know, discussed years ago is that social welfare platforms, and a friend of mine actually administers social welfare in Latin American countries through blockchain technology and crypto, right? So what happens is people who are on social welfare are going to get their allotment through a crypto, like a Fed coin, right? And that Fed coin will say what that, what kind of goods will be able to be bought and sold. Like, yes, you can go buy milk and eggs, but no, you can't buy vodka. Like, it seems pretty intuitive, right? Oh, it's going to be regulated. Regulated as far as like the, the coins will be scripted as far as like what you can spend mm. your money on or not. And so once you give that to people as like the, as for social welfare, then that forces also the establishments, the retail establishments to accept FedCoin because you have to create the full ecosystem. Yeah. The other thing that'll happen mm. is based on like your tax bracket, my tax bracket, our taxes can immediately be taken out of the coin based on our previous filing. And I'm sure, you know, we'll still have the IRS, the tax filing systems, right? Um, but these are all the the technological advancements that are going to, I think, be baked into this coin that's coming our way. So that's that's where I see uh, economics, I guess, or the the evolution of money happening here, and how that's mm. going to interplay with real estate will be really interesting as well. Yeah, excellent. So, what have you been in business before this, like in entrepreneurship? Like, what kind of businesses have you have you been through in your journey? <laughs> um, so my longest standing one is my real estate, my online real estate brokerage. So uh, uh-huh. that's been around for a decade um, and doing loan origination. So that's kind of my steady eddy business that's as real estate goes, right? It's not sexy. It just kind of, yeah. it's old fashioned, I would even say, um, how real estate transactions happen. Um, that hasn't changed in the United States for a hundred years. It, like the, mm. the overall laws and who participates. Um, so that's been my longest standing business. Right after business school, I got involved in tech and did like freelance work. Um, and then I, I've always kind of had a foot in being an employee, but probably I'm an entrepreneur at heart. Um, people try yeah, to hire me, yeah. you know. I can hear in your voice. <laughs> yeah, I get stuff done is what I've been told. So mm. like that's, it's good to be That's an good. entrepreneur. It's always we hard. need you then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we need you. We need you, uh, you know, for, for those skills uh, to create what you have created. Uh, do you want to share that website, the one with the online real estate? Oh, yeah. It's called BrobeckerHolland.com. I can throw it up on the screen here. BrobeckerHolland.com. Yeah, I mean, it's probably going to forward actually to Growbecker Group. Yes, that's the domain. So, um, just very, very basic services: uh, loans, find a home, what's cool. the value of my home, um, show me my net sheet if I sell my house with my my seller net sheet here, um, and nice. then buy homes with Bitcoin. I still offer all of that as a service. Um, so, yeah, that's that's great. That's the old fashioned. And we're licensed in, I'm licensed in California as a broker. Um, So that's where I do, where I practice my services here. And then I learned in San Francisco, which for, if you've ever read about San Francisco real estate, they say that people in San Francisco are crazy because they waive all their contingencies and all their inspections. The reason why they do that is because all of the inspections and contingencies are done ahead of the listing going 
live on the MLS. Oh, and so we just we really yeah. It, it's like if you could if you could read everybody's history on a dating app and be like, oh, like that's what you're really about. Yeah. Like, and, and then you're like, okay, with yeah. you know meeting somebody, it's kind of the same thing. So, um, that's really like the core. What if it doesn't? What if it doesn't sell? Like that, you you spent all that money before you listed it doesn't sell take it off market right like is is that our issue um historically generally not if it's been packaged and priced correctly i think this is where mm. it's really important to hire like a very well-heeled agent or even a new one who's been well trained by a really good broker mm-hmm. to understand what the custom mm-hmm. and practices are in large part there hasn't been enough inventory in san francisco to supply demand when when yeah. covid happened and everyone left san francisco that was a different story but san francisco's building you come yeah. back up um so historically mm-hmm. it, it, it sold itself I, I hate saying that but like if it's packaged correctly the real estate thing goes and sells itself um even if there are issues mm-hmm. with the house that's fine just tell me what it is because I really need a house to live in in San Francisco. So, okay, fine. Mm. It's got issues. It's got $17,000 of wood boring beetle damage in the stairs, but the stairs will still continue to function just fine for the next decade. Cool. Nice. Like I, I got mm-hmm. it. I can handle that right. As a consumer. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes prices homes don't sell because of pricing and that becomes an issue where the seller has unrealistic expectations of the value of their house. And I see mm-hmm. the best agents being able to provide just raw data of the comps and say, this house should be valued or, or priced mm-hmm. at this amount. And then it'll probably sell for this amount because the data mm-hmm. and the statistics go with it. San Francisco does a beautiful job of packaging the inventory and then having these resources, these economic resources and information available um, for the agents for the benefit of the consumer. So that's where I, that's where I learned how to practice real estate. My, my older sister was also mm. a practitioner for 30 years. So I learned from her as well. So. Mm-hmm. That's excellent. You know, we always like to ask our guests what their inner superpower is that got them to this point in their career. Um, you know, it's funny. I have dyslexia and I have ADHD and when I was a kid, um, my father was very old school. My father had me when he was 66 years old. My father was a Cold War spy. And he believed, like, it's all here. It's mental strength. So he, he's like, mm. we're not going to go to a doctor. We're not going to, like, we, we, don't, we don't work on those things, right? Um, so yeah. I learned to wrestle with those and to control them and to, um, to like, to either hide them like I was able to hide all this stuff because I was always just smart enough right to trick the system and to to get good grades um but internally I really struggled with these things for a long time and now I could embrace mm. it right like I didn't go on ADHD meds until 2020 and I'm yeah. you know I was like 37 or 38 and I consider those my superpowers um like to be, yeah. to be dyslexic, you see, you see the end. Like I can read a paragraph and see the end at the beginning. And so between the two, I like, I, yes. I get it. And I've learned that that's kind of a superpower to build a technology, mm-hmm. right? With the end in mind, but build it at the beginning. Yes. It's incredibly frustrating. Mm-hmm. It's a lot to manage between my ears, but the outcome is, is very rare, I think. And I've just learned to be like, okay, it, I'm a little bit of a freak of nature and that's okay. 
And I think having ADHD, I get to see yeah, many no, different no. concepts. And then when I have that moment of focus, I can bring it all together. So these are kind yeah, of my superpowers. Awesome. They're, it, it's incredibly oh, frustrating. Are. I think for it, it, it takes a lot of a lot to manage. And anybody with these issues, I would say it's, it's very challenging. Um, but I think it's a matter of embracing these special gifts. It's, it's, I'm glad that you shared that because I can relate. Um, I also uh, I recently found out that I'm autistic. So um, I exactly understand what you're saying, what you went in, went through the internal side. Um, I couldn't speak till age five. You know, I, but my parents struggled with me my entire life, but they couldn't figure out what it was, right? Back then, nobody really totally. did those kind of tests. So, yeah. So it was always that, you know, like that's why you're good at the coding and stuff, right? The software, because it's just, you can see it. You just know it. And same with me, like math and those kind of things where I was really good at. I didn't have to actually put any effort in. And even now in business, same thing, like just give me an idea and like, boop, I see that picture, what you're talking about, right? And you say, oh, you know what? Might be good or might not be good. That is such amazing, amazing quality to have in entrepreneurship. And I'm so grateful that you have that goodness inside and what you're trying to do for other people using that power. Yeah, I would say um, my father told me that I didn't hug him until I was five years old. So I think that's a symptom of either Asperger's or autism. Um, again, something yeah. we didn't know about when we were kids, like people of our generation. Yeah. Now it's just like there's mm -hmm. so much information and the internet we can access and teach ourselves and improve the lives of the people around us. Um, yeah. But I think like just admitting some of these things to ourselves and to be able to yes. speak about them is huge. Um, and, yeah. and I'm okay it with is. it now. Like we just shot eight hours yeah. of video to train the industry on web 3.0 and all the laws. And my, um, COO was like, Teresa, slow it down. And she's like, you speak too quickly. You're like, and, and I'm like, oh, yeah, it's probably Asperger's right. Or the autism, right. That <laughs> makes it, and, and now to embrace it and be able to be like, okay, I'm okay with this. I know this about myself. Yeah. I'm going to work on it. It's a conscious decision to figure out how to yeah. interact with people better. I think, I think it's really cool that we live in a day and age where we can because, explore it. Yeah, for sure. And you know, it's really that once we realize what it is or what's happening, then you're, you kind of hold back. So, oh my God, what are people going to think? And all that kind of stuff. You know, you're always worried about what other people think. That's just the conditioning of the mind. But then you pull yourself back and you see all the qualities and you become so proud. You become so uniquely um, happy for what you have been given. And, you know, I can see that you're, you're definitely taking advantage of this gift. Trying, right? It's part of the human condition. I think no matter how self-conscious, yeah. like I think I am, I, I think like the person on the other side of the table is just as nervous um, <laughs> because everybody has their things, right? Their little, their little tips or nuances. Yeah. So I think it's just a matter of being comfortable mm -hmm. in one's own skin. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's so true. So true. Well, I have to uh, definitely thank you, Teresa, for taking the time to come on the show. Um, our audience, I'm sure, have, have received a, a great value from you. Is there any kind of last-minute suggestions that you would like to share with an entrepreneur or someone who's thinking of going into entrepreneurship? Um, I think the biggest thing is financial stability. I think 
and I didn't want to believe this for a long time, is that um, two, two things, right? Money buys freedom. My friend who's very successful uh, had to teach me this. He doesn't say many words to me, but he knows when he says a few words, I listen and I'll hold them in, inside my, my heart and my head for a long time. So money buys freedom. Um, and the other thing I would say that is throwing money at something can make a lot of problems go away. My friend's husband says that to her all the time. Well, money will just fix whatever. And, and to some degree, right? Like he says that very as a joke, but sometimes it's true. And I would say if you're an entrepreneur or you have ideas, just be financially stable as you go into them and have a cushion, right? Like ideas take time and they take money to execute. So make sure that you're financially in a good spot. And I would say like one of my biggest faults is that I work too hard, but it, it's for a purpose, right? It's to make sure that there's today's money and then future money. And it's a matter of like layering in those different milestones, be it like the progression of different ideas in business, but also to realize and be patient that your ideas, if they're truly unique and original ideas, are going to take time for other humans to understand, accept, and purchase. So mm -hmm. it's really critical just to have that financial buffer or primary source of revenue until you can click over into the other one. Um, and I just think it's a matter of being patient with yourself, knowing that we're all part of the human condition and these things take time. Great, 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 great advice. Um, thank you, Teresa, for taking the time again. Uh, definitely keep in touch. If there's anything I can help with, please reach out. And um, yeah, thank you so much. And audience, if anybody has any questions, her information will be in the show notes at the bottom. Uh, make sure you connect with her, check out her site, her pages, or social media. And you know, definitely be engaged in this kind of information that she's sharing because this is the future. Right. So the more we understand this now, the better it will be for when it comes. Um, and thank you again, Teresa. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you to all the listeners. It's lovely to share this time with you. Thank you. Thank you.